Well, I get the great privilege of concluding our series today, The Separation of Church and Hate. And don't tell Shane or Lee, but I for sure got the hardest topic, unity. I love the fact that we have paused our sermon series that we had planned and prioritized the important conversation around politics and our world today. Unity in our world is pretty much impossible. I mean, no one can agree on anything about anything. And the moment that we thought we could all agree about something, another group or people, political party throws a wrench in it. It seemed just for a moment that everyone was on the same page on COVID-19, but then it quickly got politicized. People taking sides on how serious we should really take it. Then came the argument between masks, gloves, groups not agreeing if we should or shouldn't wear them. And then our nation, our country took a turn. We focus on the deep issue of racism that has been at the root of our nation from the beginning. But again, not everyone is united on solutions, varying opinions on what should be done. And the toughest thing is, is that if you have an opinion one way or the other, you're immediately thrust into being one of those people. If someone we know that is Democrat or Republican posts or says something that we adamantly disagree with, we take that one person's opinion and turn our anger and our frustration against the whole party, causing us not just to dislike or disagree with that one person, but the whole group. Today, I go to the heart of why it's so tough to stay united. We look at Jesus and how he predicted we would behave this way. And then the solution he desires all Jesus followers to all agree on. You have that one person who's a Democrat or Republican, they post something or have an opinion about an issue and you just paint the whole party a certain way because of that one person. This is what we call the fundamental attribution error, okay? Uh, there's a pastor in Georgia, Andy Stanley, he talks about this and the definition of this is the cognitive bias that causes us to attribute people's behavior to their character, that he or she will have an action or behavior. And we just think they have like an internal problem they have to deal with. It's a character issue. And basically it's because of how you're raised, uh, the experiences that you have, what people have said and done over the years, you just connect certain actions and behaviors with their character. So for instance, if you're in a meeting and somebody comes in late, your initial thought is they are a lazy, irresponsible, disorganized, disrespectful person, right? But if you're late to that same meeting, it is nothing like that, right? It's all environmental and social factors that played into Like for me, I have four kids and getting them out of the house and make sure my wife is okay and they're fed and they're dressed and everything's fine. It's that's why I'm running late because I'm so responsible with my priorities in my life. I'm such a good husband. That's why I'm running late, right? And so what happens is that when somebody votes for a Republican candidate, instead of us thinking, oh, there must be an issue or opinion they have of how government sh should be run. That's nice of them. What we do instead is, no, Republicans are redneck, gun-loving evangelicals. They just start digging <laughs> at their character. Or a Democrat, same thing, they vote for a Democrat candidate. They are just arrogant, tax-loving socialists, right? Or independents, they're vegan, conflict-avoiding hippies. I don't even know <laughs> what... I had a friend after the, uh, have a friend in 2016 election, a Christian friend. He was hiking with a non-Christian friend. They were talking about politics and how much tension there was, the polarization in our country. And the non-Christian the whole time just assumed my friend was a Republican because he was an evangelical Christian and he's not. And that's what we end up doing, this cognitive bias that just happens, that just shows up in our life and start attacking each other's character, which then leads us 
to this choice that I feel like as Americans, we've been bullied and manipulated to believe that I either need to hold on to my political ideology strongly, or there's a choice of having friendships and relationships that are strong. Like if you don't agree with me politically, then we just can't be close friends. I'm sorry. We're just not be able to hang out. We just think there's a choice between one or the other, which then leads us to having a culture of contempt towards one another. Matthew Legg, he wrote this book called Are We Done Fighting? And he says that contempt comes from the Latin word contemptus, meaning scorn. Social scientists define contempt as, check this out, anger mixed with disgust. These two emotions form a toxic combination like ammonia mixed with bleach. He continues on, we don't have an anger problem in American politics. We have a contempt problem. If you listen to how people talk to each other in political life today, you notice it is with pure contempt. And then we all experience this. When somebody around you treats you with contempt, you never quite forget it, do you? So if we want to solve the problem of the polarization today, we have to solve the contempt problem. And then when we have contempt towards another person, we have that cognitive bias towards them. We find ourselves in this box. And when we're in a box towards a person or a people group, it's a distortion of how we think about them, how we act around this person. In this book called Leadership and Self-Deception, they say that by being in this box, typically when you feel threatened or betrayed or have contempt towards them, you view others as objects or as a threat, as an obstacle, that our needs and wants are greater than the others. And we consciously resist Others, And then what begins to happen when we're in this box, everything we do and say is just ineffective. When I find somebody who posts something and it is with strong character attacks or negativity, when I see that person in person, I put myself in this box and I view them as a threat or as an obstacle. I begin to resist them in my life. And we do this all the time, right? But in the box living just removes us completely from truly loving. And I just think from all locations here in this room, and hopefully this doesn't offend you, but I just think we just have enough emotional intelligence to not be those people, right? That when it comes to a person's action or behavior, we don't paint them with the biased brush or the contempt brush. We have a choice to make. We either are inside the box towards people or people group, or we live outside the box. I mean, a few years ago, I had a conflict with another person and I thought I was doing the right thing. And of course they thought they were doing the right thing. And, and it began to kind of get more toxic as they were talking about me behind my back and people would come to me and say, hey, this is what they're saying. And, and it was really just frustrating and that conflict was building. And I had this moment of either being inside the box, viewing them as a threat or an obstacle, resisting them in my life. My needs are greater than theirs. Or do I choose to be outside the box? And I had this thought, that if tragedy hit this person's life, I still wanted to be their pastor. And I still wanted this place to be their church, no matter what happens. And I let them know that, hey, I'm here for you. I know we're in conflict, but I just wanna let you know, I love you and I'm here for you. I was trying to live outside the box. And when we do that, we view others as actual people with dreams and hopes and wants. Others' needs and wants are legitimate as ours. And people, don't you get the people sense our intentions and respond positively. And about a year later, we were able to reconcile our relationship because in the box living removes you completely from truly loving, but outside the box living leaves that door open to truly loving. 
But it is so much easier, isn't it, to be divided, to have that cognitive bias, to have contempt towards other people. It just is. It takes a lot of effort and energy and soul searching to stay united, to live outside the box, and to force yourself not to be biased towards others. So what I'd like to do the rest of our time today is just talk to the Christians in the room. And if you're not a Christian or, or think we're weird or just peering into us, this is not for you. This is the, you're going to get the inside the game uh, scoop here of how to react and how to live outside the box in the midst of our climate, political climate. I'm just going to start with a question. And it's a question we've been asking just in different ways over this series. The question is, are you willing to follow Jesus, Christians in the room, when following Jesus creates space between you and your party? and your party's platform, and your party's candidate. What's amazing is that Jesus predicted we'd be in this situation right here, right now. He didn't predict the election. He predicted that the division and the contempt and inside the box living, we would find ourselves in with one another. And so we're going to be looking at John 17. In John 17, we look at Jesus having an amazing prayer that people call the high priestly prayer. It's really like a prayer request. And if you know Jesus' life, you know that he had the Passover meal with his disciples, which we did that earlier in our service today with communion, remembrance of what he's done for us. And then right after the Passover meal, he gets arrested, tried, and crucified. It goes really fast. There's a sliver of time though. We get to peer into Jesus and what he has to say for us and to us before he heads to the cross. And wouldn't you like to know if he had a prayer request, what his prayer request would be, right? Have you ever been in a prayer request circle before where somebody's praying for their grandmother, they're not doing well, or somebody's child is making a decision or unwise decisions, let's pray for them. Or there's somebody in the circle who doesn't have a prayer request and their life is perfect and you kind of hate them a little bit. So what if Jesus though was in this circle and he had his own prayer request? Let's see what he would pray to his heavenly father in this moment. He says this, I will remain in the world no longer. He keeps on telling his disciples like, hey, I'm not gonna be here much longer. Like, you're fine, Jesus. You're gonna be with us forever. Like, no, no, I'm about to go, but they are still in the world. The disciples will still be here. And I am coming to you talking to his heavenly father. So Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be, and everyone in the room says, one as we are, everyone, one, he knew, Jesus knew that his disciples were in the box living kind of guys. They were prejudiced and racist towards anyone that wasn't a Jewish male. And Jesus just knew if these guys could figure out how to love everybody the way I've been loving everyone and they could stay together as one, then big things can and will happen. He continues to pray, he says, prayer, my prayer is not for them alone, not just the disciples here. I pray also for those who believe in me. Guess who he's talking to? He's talking to you and he's talking to me. Anyone who's given their life over to Jesus and saying, you know what, living for you and what you have for me will make my life better, make me better at life. But my prayer is not for them alone. Also pray for those who believe me and through their message, through our story, that all of them, and what's the percentage of all everyone? What's the percentage? Yeah, CCSD here. Let's go. Come on, pick it up. 100% everyone here and the, all the Christians. So what's all the Christians, 100% of us mean? Well, Christians who are Republicans, Christians who are Democrats, Christians who are independents, libertarians, librarians, black, white, brown, Irish, Polish, Hispanic, poor, wealthy, all Christians that all of us, all of them may be and everyone together, one. This is mission 
critical to all believers, to all the local church, that we will stay one. And this is so important because there's a sliver of time before Jesus goes and gets arrested, tried and crucified. This one request, the last one he has is for us to be one. And he knows it is not natural for us to be one. That we'll run to our political corners because of our experience and how we're raised, our wiring, our personalities, our opinions. But he says this thing is going to be so diverse. This church is going to be so diverse. You have to stay one. And this is the reason why he asks us to stay one. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that this is a purpose clause. That so that there's gonna be a reason why this is so important, not to do something for us, but to do something through us so that the world, those outside these walls, outside the faith, that when they see our unity, despite our diversity, when they see us being one, despite our political beliefs, when the world sees our unity, despite our socioeconomic, cultural, race background in the church, when they see our unity and us being one, the world may believe that you have sent me on this rescue mission. This is not an add-on to our Christian faith. This is the mission critical that somehow that we're able to be one and unified, even though we need to agree to disagree, we'll never see everything the same way. But by staying unified, this eventually got the attention of the Roman Empire in the first century and flipped that upside down. This then got the attention of the pagan world, flipped that world upside down. By staying one, everything begins to shift. What Jesus is saying is we can't sacrifice, come on, our unity for anything or anybody. It is mission critical. Jesus continues on and says, I have given them the glory that you've given me. This is talking to us. That they may be in everyone together one, as we are everyone together, one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. This is so huge. Then the world will know. This is my favorite part. When this happens, when we're one, as diverse as we can be, when this happens, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Huge, right? in the unique way of how we love each other, even though we're nothing like one another, the world will know that we are his disciples, we are his followers, and how much our Heavenly Father loves them. And I just think here at the crossing, and I'm being a little biased here, but I just think we do a really good job at this, of staying one despite all of our diversity and all our opinions. Like a few weeks ago, we had our Night to Shine event in this very room, and it was an incredible night where I mean, Republicans and Democrats and independents, those of different race, everyone came together to throw a giant party to crown king and queen, those who are cognitive and physical disabilities. It was amazing. It was a beautiful night. If you were there, you knew how special it was. But that wasn't just it. And Jesus knew that, that when we come together and do something special, the world sees that. So the next uh, two days later, here on a Sunday, we had our Discover experience, and Scott shared that today about Discover's those who are new to the crossing. And a staff member asked, hey, this was your first Sunday. How'd you hear about the crossing? And they said, well, we came tonight to shine, and it was so amazing. It was so special. The volunteers and how everyone came together, it was so amazing. We had to come on a Sunday to see it for ourselves. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's what begins to happen when we do things as one. Or I'm reminded of last year 
when the Midtown location building deadline kept on getting pushed back. So our team came together and we thought, what can we do for the community during this time where we don't have a building? And Halloween was coming up and all the elementary schools were doing their Halloween events or fundraisers. So we decided to call up Vegas Verde, who's just really close uh, to our Midtown location to ask if we could help. And they loved that we were able to help out. We built games. We had tons of volunteers, people dressing up as Genie from Aladdin. We had our Treat Yourself truck over there. People wore the Midtown shirts, people from different locations, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, all different kinds of diversity, all came together and loved on these kids and loved on these families. But that's not it. When we come together as one, the world notices. So last week, I get an email from the librarian of this school, Vegas Verde. And the first week of March is reading week in here in Las Vegas for kids. They asked us to come to their school to read to their kids and to decorate this stage because they just thought we were so great at helping with our Halloween event. They want our help too. When the school system, come on, is calling us for help, then as diverse as we are, when we do something together as one, the world will know everything. Everything rides on unity. It doesn't ride on politics. It doesn't ride on culture or language, how we do baptism, how we do communion with the songs that we sing. And if we stay together as one, the world changes. Shane, a few weeks ago, he shared about how the first century, how prejudice, how much the injustice there was towards women, towards the sick, those who weren't Jewish, the, the children. And it was the Christians who came together as one, loved everyone the same way Jesus would love them. And the world shifted. There's mercy. There's justice. See, your political candidate will win or lose based on how Americans vote on a Tuesday, November. But the church will win or lose based on how we treat each other every day between now and then. So we must not sacrifice our unity for anything or anybody at all. So when you find yourself in the box towards the Republican Party or Democratic Party, when you start feeling like your needs are greater than others, you start to resist other people, see them as objects or threats, what do you do? Will you sacrifice your personal wants of what Jesus wants? And what does he want? He wants us to be one. He wants us to be unified. So when you're about to post something, when you want to repost something, when you're going to comment and dig at somebody's character, just pause for a moment and say, is this going to divide or unify? Is this what Jesus wants of me right now? If there's a candidate out there, if there's an issue or there's a person that's just bugging you to death and putting you in that box every time they open their mouth, Pause. Allow God to use you to live outside the box, to be able to truly love. And be, when we do this, when we live outside the box, what divides us diminishes and what unites us will surface. Let's stay united. Let's stay one and watch the world recognize just how much Jesus loves them. Well, this isn't a, can we all just get along kind of message. Every one of us has a great opportunity to work on looking inwardly on our prejudices towards one another and allow Jesus into that space. A practical challenge for myself is that I've started following a variety of people that don't look like me, don't think like me on my social media. And what's so great is that when I see varied opinions, stories and life experiences each day, I will have empathy and understanding for all views and all people. 
The more empathy I have for all sides and all people, the less likely I'll fall into the trap of contempt. The moment that I name that I have contempt in my life is the moment there will be reconciliation, forgiveness and redemption. It's the moment that God can help me, guide me, and I even become part of the solution for the unity of God's kingdom in our world and not part of the problem. As a Jesus follower, we do not have the luxury to be racist, prejudiced, divisive, and have contempt against one another. This takes relearning and hard work and people in our lives to keep us accountable. This is not easy, but is mission critical. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just a moment to be thoughtful of how we might have contempt towards certain people or a certain party. I pray anytime this comes up in our emotions, our behaviors and what we might say or think, that you'll help us pause, be reflective of what you truly desire of us so that we don't become more divisive, but unified. That Lord, whatever we say and how we interact and how we behave on social media in front of others, that we are thinking of your kingdom first and not our own. Thank you again for our time today and the tough conversation that we get to have. Pray these things in your name, amen.